we can start the video now and we can kind of kind of get this thing rolling. Uh, we have walked our way through, and I have enjoyed immensely uh, walking you through this process. There are some things that come out of me that I cannot get out of me in a sermon, two sermons, three sermons. There are some things that are entrenched into me that make me this part of my DNA. And it's the DNA that I need you to have or to grow or to nurture because you've got to be able to handle your own situations and circumstances as we enlarge and grow. I need more people being able to feed and not just people being able to eat. Does that make sense? So this is part of the maturation of, of all seasons, and it's part of yours. And so me peeling off and passing this to you is very important. Now let's just kind of do an overview real quick, catch us back up. We've talked about how we must first be seated at the right place. We must get past Sinai. We must get past rules, regulations that our relationship with God is built off of what I've done right or what I did wrong and He loves me today or He doesn't love me today. We've got to get past even Calvary. I know that sounds like horrible. We're leaving grace. We're leaving Calvary. Yes, we are. We're, we're, grace is there. It's, it's, it's not going anywhere. It, it's, it's, it's settled. The price has been paid. You've been bought with a price. And that's a wonderful thing to know is that you're not your own. You, you, don't, you don't own anything. You don't possess anything. You don't have anything. You were bought with a price. You belong to Christ. And that's settled. But that's not where we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in Zion, which is where we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're reigning and ruling. We're overcoming principalities and powers. We are being victorious more than conquerors. This is our life. This is what we're called to do, to sit with Him. Secondly, we understand that to do that, we need intimacy. That's why I love this morning watching everyone. And, and as I'm walking down the back hall praising God, and you're here in the altars praising God, what we're learning is, is that intimacy is the key. Look at the person beside you and say, it's not what I do. It's not what I do. It's who I am. That This has to become the mantra of your life. It's not what I do. The enemy will keep beating you to death with what you did do, what you didn't do, what you did right, what you didn't do right. He'll keep you up at night making you worry. You should have done this. You should have hugged your kids more. That's why they're having trouble right now. You should have done this. You should have spanked them more. Then They wouldn't be the way they are. You should have changed jobs three years ago. You're in the wrong job. Oh, maybe I should, I'm in the right job. The enemy will wear you out off of what I didn't do, did do, and so... It is the intimacy with God that I learned that I am who I am because I am in relationship with Him. And we studied the Song of Solomon and went through that. Now those two are so important because I brought to you last week the beginning of this three parts of the last one, which is that we must learn to live in mystery. We said there's three types of people, three types of churches, three types of... There is those that live in the natural... In the natural, they're going to just simply, everything is, is not literal, everything is not, not it's, just, it's, just, you know, it's just said to kind of help you. In other words, you want to learn the principles of living for God, you want to learn that, that there's principles to be good to people, but there is no exact law, there is no exact, it's like if I'm married and I'm in a relationship, well I know at least, you know, 
at least wants me to be good. Now, you know, I may cheat on her, but she understands because she knows I love her. It's not like, it's not like we have to be exact. It's just, it's just kind of like, you know, you promise these things like I'll be faithful. That's just kind of like you really don't mean it that way. And to the natural people, this is how they get married. This is how they go to church. This is how they live their life. As long as it fits them naturally, they're okay. When it's not natural, when it's not fun anymore, I'm out. Then there's the rational person. And the rational person, as we said, believes the Bible. They believe everything in the Bible. They're just not sure it will ever happen anymore or it will happen for them. So so when they get into a position, they're going to say, now look, let's think rationally. Look, we need to pay our tithes. The Bible says that we need to post to give 10% to the Lord. We need to pay our tithes. Whoa, whoa, now. We, we, we're not settled yet. We're, we're not, we, we're still got bills. We still got this. I tell you what, when we kind of get to this level, then we will start paying our tithes. Let's be rational about this. I mean, I mean, we don't really have that much gas. If you check, by the time we go to work all week, we're going to be almost out of gas in our car. So I tell you what, let's skip church this week because we really don't have rationally the, the money to go to church. So what happens is you, you believe that God did all those things, but it doesn't affect you. You think out rationally. And you'll even say to Pastor Lot sometimes, well, Pastor Lot, I know you understand. And I look at you and say, that's why people think I'm mean, but I'm not mean. It's like, is that what it says? No, well, that don't mean nothing. It won't work. Yeah, but, but that, you got to understand, Pastor Lott, look, I, I know your emotions are cranked up. I know your feelings get cranked up. I know you're all out of whack, but I'm telling you, you can't just live the Christian life rationally. Then the third is what we began to embark on which was we must learn to live in the mysterious. You know, even while you were here this morning doing what you were doing, do you understand that there's some people that can't do that? There were some people eating breakfast out, outside in the foyer. While you were praising God and everybody on the stage was saying, come praise God, come. Nah. Why? Because the mystery doesn't move them. What good is it going to do to go down to an altar and pray? I got problems. I got issues. I need God to solve something. You need to learn to live in mystery. You need to learn that it is in my praise and my worship and getting off the couch out front and doing all of that that brings you into the mystery and you understand it's not by your power nor by your might, but it's by his spirit. And when you get wrapped up in him, he will do things you can't do. Preach. Don't stop me when I'm doing good. It'll hurt your feelings. Because it's much easier to live rationally. I do what I do. It may be the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you act, and you got it rationally figured out. But mystery is where all the good stuff is. Mystery is where all the great stuff happens. That's why last week when we wrapped it up, I finished with, and let me get to where I finished, I held within my hand what? Substance. Don't you see it? I held in my hand substance and evidence. You can't see it, but it's real. 
It's by this substance I have pastored for 29 years. This is how I pastored for 29 years right there. Can you see it? No. But I can. I can see it. I know that it's real. I have stood on it. Preached on it. Lived on it. Raised my kids on it. Have watched people walk out when I said, "Mm -mm, I'll stay here, you go on. It has been the greatest thing of my life. In fact, it's more real than my life. This is real. Is this real? Is this a substance? No. James says this is a vapor. That's why y'all cry so much at funerals. Because you lost your substance. They never were a substance. They were just a vapor. And that's why you need to hug your mom as much as you can. Kiss your papa, call them every day. Because let me tell you something, they're not staying. They are a substance. Don't, 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 don't go send me flowers when I'm dead. You need to pick up the phone after today and, and go home. And whoever it is you want to say you love, you need to tell them. And that way when they finally expire, and that's why I joked last week, some of you ladies, you can take this home with you. Your husband is nothing but full of hot air. When I breathe my last breath, then somebody can say, I know you're sad, and I'm going to look at you and say, yeah. Now I got to take my dad to Boston years ago. I sold a golf cart to take him to Boston way before he died. I went fishing with my dad so many times. I, I, me and my dad, we got to do so much stuff. I got to spend Christmas with him, sit with him, play dominoes with him, play cards with him, do all those things. No, no, no. I, I lived a good life with my dad. I lived my life understanding that my dad one day will leave this place and go there. And when that moment happened, I said, praise God. I'm telling you, everything was good. Oh, let me see if I can help you out. There are three heavens. There is, there is the lower heaven in which we live in, the Bible says. Since I'm on this, I'm just going to touch this, all right? I like this. This is, this is one of the things I think about. I'm on a lower heaven. In the lower heaven, this is where, this is where we, we, we live on earth. It's where the natural is. It's where we have all of the stuff going on. Above that is the second heaven where the principalities, where the powers of the air, where Satan reigns and rules. That's what the Bible says. He's the prince of the air. He's the prince and palace. That's why that in Daniel, what took place? Daniel on the third heaven, in the lower part, began to do what? Pray. And God in the third heaven, which is the heavens, which is where God reigns and rules, from the third heaven, God sent a what? Sent an angel. But between the third heaven and the first heaven, he had to go through the... And what happened to him? He got caught up. He got in a fight. They said, we're not letting you bring that answer to Daniel. We're going to fight you. We're gonna... And he said, for 19 days, I wrestled with principalities to bring the answer from the third heaven to your level. And I've been trying to get here. And it wasn't until God sent reinforcements that allowed me to break through and bring you the answer. Does that make sense? Okay, well, let me just explain it this way when I talk about death. There will come a time when I will die. 
There will come a time when I will cease to be here. And when that moment comes, angels of the Lord will come. And I don't know if it'll be a fiery chariot. I don't know what it'll look like. That's what we saw with Elijah. But I don't know how it's going to look. But I know the angels are going to come. And they're going to say, Tim, it's time to go home. It's time to go. And you know what I'm going to get to do? Oh, no, you don't, you don't get it yet. You know what I'm going to get to do? I'm going to get to leave the first heaven. And I'm going to go trailing through the second heaven. And as I'm going through the second heaven, I'm going to go, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. Y'all can't stop me. I'm headed home. I've done fought my fight. I've done run my race. I've done won my battle. I'm finished. That Satan will sit there with his arms crossed watching me go up, and he'll sit there from that second heaven saying, we lost another one. We lost another one. Another one got through. Another one broke through. That's going to be that day. You think I get sad about the mysteries of God? Oh, son. Oh. <laughs> That's the mystery. You ain't going to get excited. Well, so-and-so died. I'll talk about the mystery. I want to hear about the mystery because the mystery is where it all takes place. Let me show it to you. Now, I can start today. <laughs> Go with me in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 13. So let me explain this. So since I'm on this level, and what I'm trying to do is to see that level, I got a problem. I have a problem. The problem is, is that it's not clear. Now understand this. I told you that I need to be seated in the right place and I need to be passionately in love with who? Jesus. Why? Because chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it begins with, if I had this and, and, and could do this and if I could do miracles, and I, but I don't have God's love in me, it's of no value. I know we pull that out at weddings, but what he's talking about is that if you do not sit where you're supposed to sit and you do not have intimacy with me, you're going to have a problem. Because then even if you do what you're doing, you're doing it for the wrong reason and you'll gain no glory. You're not doing it out of love for God. You're doing it either out of attention or doing it because it's just your gifts and your talents and you think you'll just let God borrow them for a little while. But if God ticks you off, you'll take your little red wagon and go home. But true love never fails. The true love of God never gives up. The true love of God never stops. The true love of God, that's the reason I've told y'all for all these years, listen, you may leave me, but let me tell you something, I won't ever leave you. Realize you can't say that. Yes, I can't. Because if the love of God reigns in me, then I, the love of God is stronger than any other force in the world. Let me, let me explain. So he goes through what love is. Love is patient, kind, gentle, all these things. But then in verse 9, listen to what he says. This is important. For we know in part, we prophesy in... So even though I'm, I'm down here, I still looking upward toward God, I, I can't grasp it all. 
I can't see it. The only thing down here that keeps me bound to Him through all of the confusion and the struggle and the trouble is the depth of my love for Him. That's what He's saying. And here's what He says. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, when I, when I prophesy, hey, this is going to happen. Well, Brother Lot, do you, you actually know that's going to happen? <sighs> in part. In, in, in part, I do. Well, you just said it was going to happen. It's going to happen. Can't you see it? But at the same time, when I say it, are you sure? In part. And this is your struggle. Living between a natural world of what I see and the mystery in which I am. Is that clear now? But when that which is perfect has come, in other words, one day when God removes the second heaven and Satan is bound and his angels and they're cast into a lake of fire and there is no more separation between, but God will be with us, then guess what? Then which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will what? Will be done away. It'll be put away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Look at the person beside you and say, you're just a kid. That's why he calls you the children of God. Because at your very best, if you take Billy Graham at his very best, he's a kid. If you take whoever you wanted, any great person you ever thought was a great person in Christ, at their very best, they're a child. Because they cannot truly see everything that they're speaking out of faith. That's why without faith, it is impossible to please God because you're never going to see it clear enough to just be able to believe it. It will require faith to move forward. Okay, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He said, but when I grew up, I put them away. But listen to what he says. For now, we see in a mirror. We see it in a mirror, but dimly. It's kind of, we can kind of see it, but then we will see it face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am. So I'm speaking mysteries of things, even when I was telling you all ago, one day I'm going to cleave the first heaven and I'm going to go through the second, and man, you got all excited. But let me explain this. I'm struggling with that sometimes. Because even at my very best, even when I know it through the Spirit, I'm still wrestling with this flesh. That's why some of us get so messed up in church because we think, well, I'm, I should be past this by now. Yes, you should be past not being able to speak it and stand on it, but you will never grow past not having to wrestle with it. You, you watch people... Maybe me or somebody, and you see, well, I wish I could do what Pastor Lot does. 
And you think there's this plateau you reach to where you don't think like that anymore. Let me explain something to you. There is never a plateau where you don't think like that. It's just the understanding that my faith is stronger than my fear. For perfect love drives out all, not perfect faith. Because I love him so and I know he won't fail me, I'm able to have faith. And that faith turns into love and that love turns into faith. And the two together push out the fear. And you say, do you fear? Yes, but I push it out. Uh, do, do you struggle? Yes, but I push it out. Uh, do, do you have problems? Yes, but I push them out. That's how I overcome. It, I, oh, if I could get this in your spirit. This is the depth of Tim Lott. What I'm sharing with you is the depth of who I am and what took a lifetime to get. I used to watch preachers sitting on a stage and I was the younger one and sitting in the audience and some, not see those preachers just sit there. Man, everybody else be hooping, hollering. They just sitting there. That's good. I used to think, why don't they hoop and holler? Why don't they get after it like I do? It's because they don't have to anymore. They already know whatever I'm fixing to speak is fixing to happen. I don't have to have an emotion tied to it. You'll know you're grown when you can just believe it because it is. Now, it doesn't mean they don't dance and shout. I do too, and I love it. But I don't use it for the same thing. I used to. I danced and shouted and all this to try to pump myself and push the fear out. Now I'm just like, "Ah, I'm good. I'm good. I ain't scared. But that took a lifetime. A lifetime of gaining. Now, here's what it says. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. Faith is the substance of things. The evidence of things. So faith and hope, but they can only be triggered by what? That's why I spent all this time teaching you before what I'm teaching you now. I can't start here. What we do in the Pentecostal realm is we start here. I want to teach you how to do miracles. I want to teach you. No, no. I need to teach you intimacy. I need to teach you how to get off your backside and get to an altar and raise your hands and quit sitting there worrying about all your other junk in your life and realize that my intimacy with God is what breaks the strongholds of all the stuff that's in my flesh. It's what breaks it. You get mad at me if you want to. I'm just telling you how it works. You got a messed up life, not because you got a messed up life. You got a messed up life because you can't praise. You got a messed up life because you can't spend a long time with him. You got a messed up life because what he whispers in your ear, you don't believe it. You don't have intimacy, you don't have depth, and because you don't have it, you always got problems. Oh. Okay. We see through a glass dimly. So what are you saying, Pastor? Listen. We will never, we will never engage in a move of God. That's the theme of this series. 
I don't want to miss the move of God. We will never engage in a move of God unless we're willing to risk the embarrassment. Unless you're willing to risk your safety zone. Until you're willing to take chances. You will never, ever have a move of God in your life. You will think about Him, sing about Him, praise about Him, but you won't ever have a move with Him. It only happens in the mysterious places of your life. Jesus was not weird, but Jesus was very mysterious. He was very mysterious. One guy walks up to him. He's blind. He's going to heal a blind man. He spits on the ground, makes mud, rubs it on his face, and tells him to walk halfway across town and wash it off. What would you have done if Jesus had come along and done something so weird to you? If Pastor Lot came up here and had some mud and said, who wants to be healed? Today, I've got this mud that I've mixed up and I'm going to rub it on your forehead. Whoever wants to be healed, come on right now. I bet most of you would sit in your seat and say, I'll stay sick before I do that. It don't hurt that bad. Why? Because we run from the mysterious. Oh, I'd love to see God move. Well, so would Mary and Martha. That's why Jesus walked up to the tomb and four days late, let me add, he decided to wait two extra days and then just kind of hum-ho along and finally get there by the time the body's rotted. Four days in that hot, steamy, rock fortress and he comes bebopping along I am the resurrection I am the life he who believes in me shall never die and he looks at Mary and Martha and he says do you believe? oh yes Lord oh yes 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 then roll the stone away now Lord he stinks now. And if we roll that stone away, that smell's going to hit this place and it's going to be bad. See, we like it rational. And we like it when it works in our natural. But God only moves in mystery. God only moves in mystery. If you can explain it, He ain't part of it. He gets no glory from it. But if you can't explain how somebody can take a hook down to the water and all of a sudden, the first time they throw it out in the water, catch a fish and open the fish's mouth, reach down inside, pull out the coin and go to the tax collector and pay it and say, that's just the way it works. If that ain't natural living to you, then you're not going to be able to walk with God. If you can't walk around Jericho seven times and be real quiet, why are we being so quiet? Because they said be quiet. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. Well, what are we going to do after that? We're going to get out after it. We're going to get it. We're going to, no, we're just going to yell at the wall. What? Yeah, on the seventh time, we're going to take our trumpets and our tambourines, and we're going to just throw that. And the wall's going to fall. Unless you can handle mystery, you're not going to walk with him. You can hoop and holler in this altar. You can shout and scream, jump, do whatever you want to do. But until your feet hit the ground and you can actually handle mystery, ain't nothing happening. Nothing's going to happen. 
Now, I know I'm hurting your feelings right now, so let me just move on. And I don't mean to, but listen to me very carefully. This is the depth of where you have to go. Everything I've ever done, anything you've ever seen Pastor Lot believe in or trust in or, or do for these 20-something has all come out of mystery. There was no strategic plan. There was no figuring it out on paper and it making sense. It was God said go. And I went. God said do. And I did. Oh, I look great now. Oh, well, on the other side, everybody looks good. But you should have seen me on the front end, drinking buttermilk, having ulcers, riding my lawnmower. And Lee said, let's talk. Let's not talk. Let's just not talk at all. This thing could go wrong so many ways. And ain't but one way it can go right. If God does it. And over time, I've got used to wanting to live there. I'm lost when I'm not there. I don't like normal. I don't even like rational. I love the mystery. I love to watch what God's going to do now. I love to hear what somebody's saying God's doing now. I love to hear some pastor say, let me tell you what happened. Tell me. And then I walk away, God, I need something like that. To hear somebody say, let me tell you what God did in my body. Tell me. Oh, God, I don't want to go through it. But if I did, I want that testimony. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24. I'm going to share over this Sunday and next two stories. This is my first story. Matthew 20, 14, verse 25. Living in mystery. Jesus has just fed 5,000. Just fed 5,000 people. With a little bit of bread couple fish, he has done a miracle. Everybody's like, whoa. Jesus immediately turns around to the disciples and says, go get in the boat, get to the other side, I'll meet you over there later. They're thinking he's going to catch another boat, he's going to do something. They didn't have any idea. Sure, Jesus, I'm going to, put the, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the crowd, get them, get them sent home. You guys head on to the other side. Go to the other side. Okay. Twelve guys get in the boat. They're rowing, and the Bible says that as they get several furlongs, a furlong is about an eighth of a mile, so, so they're almost a half a mile or so to, to a mile or so out in the water. They're not swimming back. Not in a storm. They would drown. So they can't get back because of all the wind and the waves, and they can't go forward because of all the winds and the waves. A storm has, has come up that is horrific. And in the middle of this storm that they have, listen, 
around 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning when they're tired, they're worn out, the sun is not, it's the darkest time, everything is bad, everything looks bad. Jesus, the Bible says, comes walking on the water. Look at the person beside you and say, mystery. Not normal. In fact, they're struggling because what they think is normal is now hurting them. Because this is the way they think. When they're in the boat, can you get my storm going? Get our storm going now. I'm in the boat. This is not good. The only thing worse than the boat is in the water. But the boat is sinking. Everything is going down. Everything is looking bad. And all of a sudden, I see a figure walking on the water and nobody says anything. Except one. You know which one. Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter, the one whom Jesus tells at times, get behind me, Satan. Peter, the one who says, I won't ever leave you, cut somebody's ear off. I mean, Peter is that guy. He, he's just go-getter. And, and, and it's okay, because Peter has one quality that makes him excellent, is that he loves and is not afraid of mystery. That's what makes Peter, that's why Jesus always calls on Peter. Because Peter will speak it. Peter will say it. Peter will do it. And there's 12 in the boat, and all of a sudden Peter looks over and says, Look! It's Jesus! And they're like, No, it ain't! No, it ain't Jesus! Because they know that if they see a ghost or see a figure on the water... They're mariners. They know what that means. It means that there's a 0% chance that you will survive. Every sailor knows, if I start seeing ghosts, there's no going home. So half of them that rationally are thinking, I don't see nothing. I don't want to see nothing. I, I just want to get home. I just want to get to the other side. And Peter is saying, no, it's Jesus. I see Jesus walking on the Hey, Jesus, is that you? Number one, the first thing you need to realize about when you're in a storm, and your storm can be anything. It could be your marriage right now. Your storm could be what's in facing you in front of you with your work. Your storm could be a problem. It could be your health. A storm can be anything, and storms are going to come. But number one is this. When you're in a storm, first thing you need to know is, is Jesus in the storm with me? He may not even be on the boat. He may feel like he's a million miles away. But when you're in a storm, number one, are you sure that Jesus is with you? That's why I've been telling you, you must spend time with Him. You must fall in love with Him. You must be embraced by Him. Because it's in Him, in His presence, where I need to stay. Because in His presence is where I find my safety. When you start going through a storm, do you start praying or do you quit praying? When you go through a storm, do you, do you start reading your Bible or do you stop reading your Bible? 
When you go through a storm, if the doctor told you right now, look, you, you are in bad shape. Your kidneys are shutting down. It's not looking good. I call the family in and start talking to them because it doesn't look like you're going to make it. Do you walk out of the doctor's office and you say, where's my Bible? Do you walk out of the doctor's office and say, hey, let's stop by the chapel at this doctor's office. I need to spend some time. Or do you go to Facebook? Y'all sure better be praying for me. The doctor said I'm dying. Come on now, be honest with me. Do you know Jesus is in the storm with you? But you don't know what I'm going through. Doesn't matter. He promised I'd never leave you nor forsake you, but will be with you to the end of the way. Did he lie or is he in the storm? Is he in the storm? If he's in the storm, you're in good shape. If he's in the storm, it's going to be okay. Number two, when you're in a storm, can you hear his voice? Why do you want me to read my Bible, Brother Lot? Why do you want me to pray, Brother Lot? Because when you're in a storm and you're sitting in the boat and it's going under and life is not right, you need His Word. It may come from Him speaking to you in prayer. It may come feeling audible. It may come through His Word and you just... You may have to sit there for hours and flip through. And It's so much easier now. You can, you can even pull up on your phone Scriptures about this or Scriptures... I mean, you don't even have to go like old time, just start reading until you read for four hours and find it. You, you, you now can just go find it if you're looking for it. What does God say about this? What did God say about this situation? And you pull out those scriptures and you fall on your face in prayer and you're like, God, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not doing anything until I hear a word from you. I need to hear a word from you on this situation. I need to hear a word from you on this problem. Because you're the one I love. You're the one I trust. You're the one I'm depending on. And in life, this is what it's about. In the middle of my storm, hey, I'm glad I got pastors that can pray for me. I'm glad I got people that care. I'm glad, let me tell you something, there's only one that I'm going to run to and there's only one, I don't mean to hurt y'all's feelings, but there's only one I have trust in. There's only one that I will go to the mat with. And He's taught me that through years and years of storms and practices and trials and circumstances. And, and I wouldn't trade any of them. I wouldn't trade any of them. Because they're what got me to here. The stuff you like about me is it took this. And it took this. Can you hear him? What's he speaking over your situation right now? And do you love him enough and do you have enough trust? And is it real enough to believe that he can't fail? Everything else can fail, but this can't fail. This can't fail. Number three, let me hurry and get you out of here. Number three is simply this. And let me just say this about hearing the call. It's hard to hear 
when you've got all the other noises going on. What the doctor said. What your mama said. What somebody told you. What somebody texted you. What, what, it's hard to hear with all the other noises. While you're in the boat, the water is what scares you. The crashing against the boat. The waves that you see. The, it's scary. And you're like, God, I can't hear. You're going to have to stay close to me. Peter looks out at Jesus and he says, Is it you, Lord? Is that you? And Peter has been with him long enough to know his voice. If it be you, Lord, bid me come. Now that word bid me come is a king word. It is not a, hey, would it be all right if I try to come out there? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if it's you, command me to come to you. Bid me, tell me I have the authority to do it. I'm waiting for your word. Tell me I have the authority to build a camp or to grow a church, or to preach a sermon. I wrestle every week, every week of my life, to do one thing, to preach a sermon that God has looked at me somewhere in that week or in that nighttime, woke me up in the morning and said, this is the Word. Is that you, Lord? That's me, Tim. I bid you. You can speak that. Go tell it. And I will back you. I've spent my life doing that. Just waiting for a word. It's not what I do. It's who I am. It's not what I do. It's my intimacy with Him. You just get to see the effects of the intimacy with Him. If you were to watch me and Elise walk down the road holding hands, and you would say, oh, those two men, them two love each other. But what you don't know is the depth of our holding hands. You don't know three children. You don't know 30-something years of marriage. You don't know all the times we kissy-faced. You don't know all the times we've had to wrestle through stuff and walk through. You don't know the depth of that intimacy that gives me the faith to believe she'll be there. That takes a journey. Peter says, if it's you, please. And he's not listening to the water anymore. He's not listening to anything else. He's listening for a voice. And the voice commands and says, come. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, well, now Peter... Look now, I love you, man. You can try it if you want to. It's not what he says. Come. I have given you permission to do it. Number three. Then the question becomes whether you'll leave your contentment, your comfort, and fulfill your destiny. 
The question then becomes whether you will leave your comfort. You'll leave what's easy, what's safe, and pursue a destiny that God has put in your heart. There's some of you, you can swallow it. There's 11 of them in the boat. 11 good people. They believe in Jesus. They ain't getting out of that boat. Their rational, their natural says, that's crazy. And here's Peter. Is it you, Lord? If it is, bid me come. And he says, come. And Peter, without hesitation, but just because of the intimacy he has with Christ, The other 11, what are you doing? Hush. And he does what only one other person in history ever did. Jesus and him walking on a stormy sea on top of the water. Is the water real? Tell me, is the water real? You still ain't got it, have you? What's real? See, y'all are natural. Every time I bring up something, y'all go back to natural. Is water real? Oh yeah, water's real. Oh, it's not. Water can be as hard as concrete if God wants it to be. Water's not real. This is real. Wow. I'm coming, Jesus. You've got to be willing to believe in this more than this. If you don't have the ability to let go of what you have, which you really don't have, then you'll never have the ability to grab hold of what God wants you to have. He said it this way, if you can't handle things that aren't even your own, how are you going to handle real things that belong to the king? Now, number four is to help you. Number four is this. Failure is never the end. I'm not coming here today to look at you and say, well, now, you know how I've been all my life. I've been, I've been doing it and grooving it and going, man. I'm telling you, God, me. No. You saw a few things in my 30 years, a few things that I held and believed in. But I promise you, there's probably a hundred things that I should have done or could have done or should have done better or should have had more faith for that or should have... Let me tell you about this walk. Failure is going to be part of your journey. Because you're a child. You're a child. 
The greatest joy I'm having right now is watching my children reach and become older children. They think they're grown, but they're not. There's a lot of stuff still coming in front of them that they have no idea about. They got it all figured out and they got it by the tail. And I'm like, oh Lord. There will be failure. Peter is the first person to walk on it. God's parted waters, but to just walk on it. I can't tell you how many times I've stepped over in my bathtub. This time, God, one day I told him, I said, one day I'm going to fill up the baptistry and I'm going to walk across and I'm just not even going to sink. I'm just going to be like. But Peter, walking along, the Bible says he began to feel the wind. Now I love this because it didn't say that that he saw the waves or heard the waves anymore. It said the wind was boisterous. It was the it was the feeling. This this is crazy. This this what am I doing? This isn't natural. This isn't rational. The Bible says he began to sink. But Peter knew that Jesus loved him. Jesus was not his enemy. Jesus was his friend. The Bible says he cried out, Help me, Lord, help me. I missed it. I messed it up. I, I didn't get it all the way. I, I didn't make it 100%. Forgive me. Help me. And Jesus reaches down and grabs him by the hand. They both rise up on the water again. They start walking again. Till they get back to the boat. came by to tell you today that yes, you need to know He's present. Yes, you need to, to know that, that you can hear His voice. Yes, it will take courage and faith to step out in moments and trust Him. And you won't get every part of it right and you'll bumble some of it and it'll, it'll kind of look weird. But He will be there. And He will walk you through to the end. That is the relationship of mystery. In the middle of all of the stuff, now you love the part where He loves me, but you got to also understand there's a mystery. They're walking on water. They're doing the impossible while they're in love. And so will you. Will you stand? Next week, I will hit one more of these stories. And I'll show it to you one more time. And I hope that you will go back and you will re-dig into this. Is this real? It's not. This is not real either. What's inside this old shell is real. 
One day, it'll have to give me away. The real Tim Lott will have to be released. Our culture works at one thing, folks. It's to try to convince you that where you live, what you drive, how, what you comb your hair with, what you sleep on, what that's real. And if you had the right mattress, and you drove the right car, and you have the right hair color, and your fingernails are painted just so, you will be happy. It's a lie. Because you'll have to go buy another car and fix up the old house and repaint your fingernails. I know I have to buy it. I have to pay for it. Toenails too. Don't let the mystery slip out of your fake world. God said the things that are <clears throat> are not what you see, but they were created by things which you cannot see that are more real. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word won't. Don't misplace the real or you'll miss your miracle. You'll miss the mystery. You'll miss the good stuff. With every head bowed, Father, I hope, I hope with all my heart they understand this. I'm not trying to be ugly or mean, but God, there's a war in our mind for what is real, what is not real, what is natural, what is... what is. God, it's robbing us. It's robbing us of watching You do the miraculous in our lives. If You rub the mud on us, we don't want to walk and go wash it off. If you tell us to move the stone, we, we tell you it stinks. We don't want to do that. Father, give us the faith, the hope, and the love. God, to move with you. To move into mystery. So the world can see your awesomeness. In our lives, in our marriages, show it to us. Speak it. And we'll move. In Jesus' name, amen.